Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Persino Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Michelle Persino Wells, one of the attorneys here at PWW Law, and I'm joined today by my business partner, Amber Woodland, also one of the attorneys here. And we're going to talk about wills and tangible personal property. We've, we've used the slogan in the past, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. So welcome, welcome, Amber. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to talk about, to talk about wills. So I think, you know, probably most everybody knows, you know, what a will is. It says, you know, who gets your stuff, right? <laughs> who gets your stuff when you're gone? And who's, who's in, in charge? Who's in charge of wrapping up your affairs? But, you know, let's, let's just talk about, let's kind of dig into the, the legal technical for just a minute okay. and kind of talk about like, you know, the really important parts of a will. So yeah, take it away. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I always say a will's words on paper and everybody right. knows what a will is because you've either seen a will in person or you've seen it on the movies. <laughs> it There's no reading of wills like you see in the movies, but <laughs> right. the will is the legal document that says who's in charge and who gets what, but there are components to a will that are really, really important. Yes. And the very first sentence of almost every will says, I hereby revoke any and all prior wills that I've ever created in the past. Right. And that's important because you don't want to have conflicting wills at the time of your death. You need to make sure that you've got one will and that it includes all the necessary provisions and that it it meets all the right formalities. So after that, it starts getting into the nitty gritty of what it needs to say. So it a traditional, typical will will first define your family members. So if you're married, if you have children, there's a provision in there that just defines who your people are. So then throughout the document, you can reference them in that way. But generally a will says, at my death, gather all assets that are part of my estate and use those assets to first pay all of my bills, debts, and expenses, wrap up my affairs, and then distribute those assets pursuant to the terms of the will. Yeah, so let's talk about specific bequests okay. versus you know general bequests or you know what we call them pecuniary bequests. <laughs> so you know the different the different kinds of who gets what provisions that go into wills. Yeah, so there's a way to specifically state a particular item that you want a particular person to have right within the body of the will. That would be a specific bequest. And you can you can make a specific bequest of a certain piece of property, so a particular piece of real estate or a certain stock account. But you can also make a specific bequest that's, I leave $10,000 to each of my grandchildren, by way of example. That would right. also be an, an example of a specific bequest versus a general bequest. I always refer to this as just, well, what happens to everything else? Right. The rest. What's left in the pot. What's left in the pot. (laughs) Yeah. And so usually what you see in a residuary provision is a percentage divide. So if you have multiple beneficiaries, the residuary provision, what is a general bequest says, anything that's left gets divided in these shares, a third to each of my children or 50% to these particular people and 50% to my favorite charities. That's more of a general bequest. It's just whatever's left over. So other important provisions that go in wills, you know, deal with minors, you know, Mm -hmm. so if a family 
uh, has minor children, you know, you would name, appoint a guardian of those minor children. And so it's really important. You know, so we put those provisions in a lot of wills for younger couples. You know, we often get those calls, you know, they're getting ready to go on vacation and they've all of a sudden thought about, oh my goodness, what happens if the plane goes down? Right. So they want to have uh, guardians in place. And with naming guardians, I always encourage my clients, you know, it seems like people always at first say they want to name a married couple. Mm. Maybe it's their, you know, brother and his spouse, mm. you know, um, that they want to name. And so I always try to advise people, let's name one person. Because mm. if you name a married couple, you know, what happens if they get divorced? You, know, you don't want your children to end up in the middle of that. So really important to name guardians. And then really also important to put provisions in saying how a minor will inherit you know, most people don't want, you know, uh, well, you can't let a 13-year-old inherit because they're not an adult. Um, but you, most people also don't want an 18-year-old, even though they're legally an adult. So it's a great way to put some rules around how a young person will inherit, you know, maybe they get a distribution when they turn 21, maybe another at 25, you know, you can structure that all kinds of ways. And while assets are being held for them, it's important to understand that that's typically structured so that, you know, whoever's serving as the executor under the will um, would serve as a trustee for them and be able to use the money for college or whatever else they might need, but then set those ages at which they'll receive outright distribution of their inheritance. So speaking of executors mm -hmm. and trustees, mm -hmm. you know, really important provisions in um, wills that, you know, naming that executor is going to say, you know, who's in charge, you know, who's in charge. So if you would talk a little bit about what that executor role looks like. Sure. So we call this the fiduciary appointment. And a fiduciary is just a fancy way of saying the person who's going to act for for you when you can't act for yourself. So under a will, that's an executor. Mm -hmm. On behalf of a minor's trust, that's a trustee. A revocable trust, it's a trustee. Under a power of attorney and healthcare directive, it's an agent. But the appointment of a fiduciary, you have to consider who's the best person for the right. job. Right. And you have to consider whether you want to name one person and followed by another in succession or whether you want to name multiple executors that would be required to act together or maybe have independent authority. That's a discussion you should have with the lawyer that's drafting your will Absolutely. because that's part of the design of the plan. And you've really got to think about who has the right skills to mm -hmm. wrap up your affairs, who's good with finances, who's honest and responsible and prudent and is really going to serve in that role and take it seriously because they have to act in the best interest now of all the beneficiaries. Right. So they've got to be really good at keeping track of records because mm -hmm. anything that comes in and anything that goes out has to be reported to all of the beneficiaries. And I think it's fair to say that that is what I think makes the biggest difference in how smoothly an estate administration goes. Absolutely. Is who is named as executor, whether that person has those skills, when, you know, when there's co-executors um, appointed, you know, can those people work well together? You know, mm -hmm. last thing you want to do is name, you know, two siblings who have fought their entire lives because <laughs> guess what? They're going to fight. Right. Um, and that turns into a disaster. Um, so yeah, really, like you said, you've got to always consider you know, who's best for the job. So let's talk a minute about the signing formalities. Okay. Um, you know, so in Delaware, you know, what, what, what has to, who has to sign? What does that look like in terms to make the, uh, the will 
legally binding. So it's funny because people are like, can't I just put my wishes on a napkin? Isn't that enough? Or if, if in some states, you, but not here, not in Delaware. <laughs> no, a will. And this is something that I remember learning in law school, you know, a will to be legally binding has to meet very specific formalities. And if it doesn't meet those formalities, it's not valid. Right. And it's not going to work. And without a will, then the state controls what happens to your assets when you pass away. And so under Delaware law, a will has to be signed by the maker of the will in the presence of yes. two witnesses and a notary. Yes. So it, the in the presence of piece is really important. So I always say you need to have four people at the table, mm -hmm. at the same table at the same time. You've got to have the will maker, both witnesses, and a notary. And one advantage of using an attorney to prepare a will is you can guarantee that the signing formalities have been met yes. and that disinterested witnesses are being provided and um, everything is on the up and up. And the timing of it is the way it needs to be to make the will valid. You'll also guarantee too that there's what's called a self-proving affidavit included with the will. So when you use a lawyer to create a will, the lawyer is going to put a page at the end of the will called a self-proving affidavit and it gets signed by the will maker, the witnesses and the notary. And when that's done at the time that the will is created, what that saves upon death is the witnesses having to then appear at the register of wills office and attest to the will maker's signature. So right. by having that one extra component to the will, it will have save your family so much time and energy. Absolutely. And angst and stress <laughs> and money your and, death money, and money and money. Yeah. yeah. Because the will can just simply be filed at death. Right. It doesn't have to be attested to by two witnesses that can prove that that is in fact your signature. So yeah, that self-proving affidavit, that's where a lot of people get tripped up that try to do, you know, their own mm -hmm. wills, um, or they'll download a form on the internet. I just had this happen where a man passed away. He had created a will himself, took it to a local business and had it um, witnessed and notarized, but you know, I love how that the visual, it got to have four people at the mm -hmm. table. In his case, the man who was the notary thought he could also serve as a witness. Mm -hmm. So he signed it twice mm -hmm. and that doesn't fly. Nope. <laughs> Work. <laughs> and there wasn't an appropriate self-proving affidavit. Um, and so we had to track down the witnesses. Thank goodness we were able to find them. Mm -hmm. They were still around. You know, lots of times, you know, uh, staff at attorney's offices that have moved out of the area or people, you know, have passed away or whatever it might be. And you can't find the witnesses. But in that case, and then they refused to go to the Register of mm -hmm. Wills office. They said, we're not going to Georgetown. And, you know, so I had to be commissioned by the Register's office. I had to go and get there. Yeah, it was a crazy whole long process. And I bet you when he created that will, he never imagined he in never, a million years right. that all of right. that would be required at his death. He didn't know. And, mm -hmm. you know, you got to give him credit that he was trying to put his affairs mm -hmm. in order. Um, but it's just unfortunate. And so that's when, when you know people will ask us, well, you know, do I have to have a lawyer do my will? And, you know, my answer to that is always, well, if you know what you're doing, then maybe not. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't, And you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that self-proving affidavit can, can really trip people up. Yep.
So you, you kind of touched on it a minute ago. You know, what is what happens when a person passes away and they don't have a will? Does the state just get everything? Isn't that the question we always get asked? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I was recently at an estate planning council meeting and a financial advisor came up to me and he said, I have a client who actually former attorney and he fell and he has a traumatic brain injury and really unfortunate circumstance, but he's never designated a beneficiary on any of his assets. He's never created a will, power of attorney or healthcare directive. And the financial advisor's question to me was, what happens when he dies and he has no Mm. next of kin? Oh my. Right? So worst case scenario Mm -hmm. here. And I explained intestacy (laughs) and what that fancy word means is essentially it's a set of state laws that control what happens to a person's assets when they die without a valid will. And so everything doesn't automatically just go to the state when a person dies without a will. It's the state laws that control what happens. And so generally speaking, the intestacy rules will say at death, if you have a spouse, a portion of your assets are available to your spouse. If you have kids, if you, if you don't have a spouse or kids, but you have living parents, if you don't have living parents, then siblings or nieces and nephews. So it, it sort of logically looks to your nearest next of kin, but I would never recommend relying on intestacy because like in this case that I'm mentioning where the financial advisor was saying, what's going to happen to his million dollar account when he dies, if he doesn't have any living next of kin, then that's when it goes to the state. And that's unfortunate because he probably has at least a charitable interest. Right, right. And so I also would never recommend relying on the intestacy rules in blended family situations. absolutely. Intestacy rules don't address or allow you to choose who's going to serve as your executor. Mm -hmm. So you really don't have any control over all the things that we've talked about up to this point, like guardians for minors, ages at which you want people to inherit. So it's, you know, obviously we're lawyers and and (laughs) we want you to create an estate plan, but it's never a good idea. Yeah. To rely on the intestacy rules rules too are really tough when you have, you know, you can have like, um, Couples, long-term couples mm-hmm. who aren't married, mm-hmm. and they're they're unrelated right. under those intestacy rules. No right. So, or you know, stepchildren, mm-hmm. you know, who you can have a very close relationship with, and would want you know to receive an equal shape. But stepchildren are never going to be included under those intestacy rules. So, really important planning. You know, will it's it's important for everyone to have at least a simple will. Better to have a trust. Right. Not today's episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but at least a basic will to make sure that mm-hmm. the people that you want to inherit from you will receive your assets. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, let's talk about tangible personal property. Okay. Because that's one of those really important provisions that should go in a thorough will mm-hmm. that oftentimes is not there. Mm-hmm. You know, those wills that just say equal shares to the kids. Well, how on earth do you divide up, you know, we'll say dad's um things, Mm -hmm. you know, equally among five kids, unless you saw the sofa into five pieces. Right. So how do wills address tangible property? Yeah, this is is one of my favorite topics. (laughs) We've done hour long lectures in the past on tangible personal property, because it's often overlooked, like you're mentioning. And it is such an important component to an estate plan, because it's what often drives conflict. Yes. And when you don't plan for your stuff, 
there's probably going to be some arguments. And it's because personal possessions are so emotionally charged. Yes. They might not have a lot of monetary value, but they have a ton of sentimental value. So when you think about your estate planning, it's important you think about your real estate and your money, but it's also important that you think about your tangible personal property. And I lovingly call it your stuff. Right. Technical, (laughs) legal terms. Yeah. 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 And so examples of what we're talking about, jewelry. Yes. Vehicles, trailers, boats, RVs. ATVs, household contents, collectibles, low-digit Delaware tags, firearms. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But a goodwill has a separate provision in it that deals with your tangible property. And the very first thing that that provision should do is it should allow you to leave a separate written list called a tangible personal property memorandum. And when done properly in a will there is an opportunity for this separate written list to be incorporated into the terms of your will and legally binding at your death. But it's nice because it's a flexible tool that you can use right at home. It doesn't require a witness or a notary. It's just a separate written list you would keep that says, I want my four-digit Delaware tag to go to my oldest son. I want my engagement ring to go to my only daughter. And those items that you list should be in your handwriting Or if you type your list, make sure you print it and you sign and date it. That's what's required under Delaware law. So it's got to be mentioned in your will that you might leave a list. Right. And it's got to be in your handwriting or signed and dated. And if that happens, that list is like the attorney drafted those items right into the content of the will Mm -hmm. when you created the will. And so it's a super flexible tool. And I have had many estates where these lists have existed. Yes. And practically speaking, it's so nice because no decisions have to be made over the emotionally charged items because, oh, well, mom said. Son gets the low-digit tag. Daughter gets the engagement ring. Right. And they don't have to talk about it. Yep. Yep, so they know it was mom's wishes. Right. And I love that about those tangible, the memos, because it does really avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, so I encourage all of my clients to use them. I also like to see them used as a way to record, you know, special details mm-hmm. about items. Like, you know, my family, we have, it's my great grandmother's pasta bowl. <laughs> it's, and it's not fancy. I think it was a second at the time on the bottom, like the, the, um, the label on the bottom of it isn't centered. And apparently that means it was like a second or something. So no way was it, but, but it's been in my family for so long. It has cracks in the glaze now, but you know, my, my parents wrote in there that, you know, it belonged to your great grandmother, Ludovico, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's nice to be able to record that Mm -hmm. history. You know, I, I get the bowl. Yeah. So. Sorry to my brother, but the bowl, <laughs> the bowl is mine. Um, but it's so really nice that my brother and I aren't going to fight over it. But even more important that, you know, those those details are recorded or, um, you know, people, I've had many clients share with me, they like to buy like jewelry when they're on vacation. And so they'll include in their memo, you know, that this is the necklace that I bought when we went to St. John mm-hmm. or, you know, so so really cool way to um, keep those memories for your family by listing them um, and avoid conflict. And, you know, that's really what estate planning is all about. It's what creating a will, it's what creating a trust powers. It's really to avoid conflict, to make sure that your wishes are carried out. Um, So always so important to make sure that a person has a thorough estate plan, even if it's a simple thorough estate plan Mm -hmm. with a will. Um, But definitely check out some of our other podcasts about trust planning, because we do firmly believe that that is the best planning that a person can do, but at a minimum we would definitely urge people to have at least a thorough will in place. 
So Amber, thank you for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for being with us today on Off the Clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.